Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I, may also, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ risking his life to make up for the help you could not give. Well, thank you, Andrew, very much for reading that for us. Uh, Great to see you here this evening. If we've not met, my name's Andy. Uh, I'll be around just at um, at the back or at the door at the end, and I'd love to uh, meet you. So do come and uh, say hello. Um, Come grab me if you have questions or something like that as well. Um, We're going to spend the next little bit of time together looking at uh, Philippians uh, 2, verses 19 to the end of the chapter. So so keep the Bible open in front of you. That'll be a help to me and uh, and to you, no doubt, as well. And um, I'm going to pray that the Lord would help us as we look at it together. So um, shall we pray together? Let's pray. Our Lord God, we pray that this evening, as I I speak and as we hear from the Bible together, we pray that your word would be our guide, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and your glory our supreme concern. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I wonder, who are your role models in the Christian life? Who are the people that you look up to, the people that you follow, the people that you think, spiritually speaking, when I grow up, I'd like to be like them? Who are your role models? Uh, We know the value of worked examples in all sorts of areas of life. Uh, Recently, um, I was faced with the um, challenge of putting stabilizers 
on my four-year-old son's bike. And um, any of you who've seen me using a spanner or screwdriver or other equivalent tool will know that a lot of help was needed. And so I read the instructions several times, and, and then I tried reading them backwards to see if they'd make more sense. And then I did what I think most of us would do in that situation and got myself on YouTube to watch a worked example of someone putting the stabilizers on the exact same bike. And only the Lord knows what would possess someone to put a film of themselves putting stabilizers on a bike on YouTube. But I was very grateful to have a worked example to show me how to do what I was trying to do. But we know it in all walks of life, don't we? I was talking to a medical student just recently about the placement that he's on, and he said it's great because we've been learning all about it in the lecture theatre, and now I get to see it worked out in practice. And whether it's sport or music, in all sorts of areas of life, we know that it's good to learn theory, it's good, but it's so helpful to see the worked example of someone doing it in practice. But the question is, in the Christian life, spiritually speaking, what kind of example should you follow? Uh, Tonight, we're digging into Philippians 2, 19 to 30, the next section of this great letter of Paul to the church in Philippi. And at one level, the passage as it was read, uh, you probably noticed, is basically about the travel plans that Paul has for various of his colleagues. Uh, These two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and Paul says he intends to send them both to Philippi at different times. So verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Or again, verse 23, I hope therefore to send him soon, uh, as soon as I see how things go with me. Or um, verse 25 of Epaphroditus, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother. See, two guys, and, uh, and Paul's planning to send them both to the church in Philippi. A passage about, um, about travel plans at one level. And then I wonder if you noticed as it was read that there is more going on than just the arrangements for how and when Epaphroditus and Timothy are going to get to the Christians there and meet them. Uh, Philippians, after all, is a letter all about gospel partnership. Uh, We've been seeing that together. And back in chapter 1, verse 27, um, Paul has urged the Philippians to join with him in gospel partnership. He said, chapter 1, verse 27, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Think of yourselves as citizens of heaven. Have the gospel as the defining center of your identity. Paul is urging them to be gospel partners. And we've seen together, if you've been here over the last few weeks, that this is worked out in action, in practice, by striving together, working really hard for the advance of the gospel, and by standing firm on the truth of the gospel. But we've also seen together that it's worked out in a mindset that is like Jesus Christ, humbly sacrificing yourself for the good of others. That was chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. And the way that Paul describes these two guys that he's going to send to Philippi, Timothy and Epaphroditus, the way he describes them is full of the sort of language and ideas that Paul has been urging 
the Philippians to do and to be like. And we'll see that as we go through together. These two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are like worked examples of what Paul has been urging us to do as Christians over the last uh, chapter or so of Philippians. They're like great big visual aids, like role models of the Christian life. And just like worked examples, it's very helpful to see in the flesh what it looks like to live as a gospel partner with a gospel partner's mindset and a gospel partner's actions. So what kind of example do they set? Well, let's look at each of them in turn. And the first one is Timothy. And Timothy puts Christ's interests ahead of his own interests. Timothy puts Christ's interests ahead of his own interests. Just have a look down at verse 19 with me again. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with a father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Paul says in verse 20, I have no one else like him. And that phrase, no one else like him, is is literally, I have no one else like-minded or like-souled. It's the same phrase Paul used back in chapter 1, verse 27, when he said um, that we should contend together as one man for the faith of the gospel. It's the same phrase he used in chapter 2, verse Two, when he talked about being one in spirit and purpose, he says literally Timothy is a worked example of what it looks like to be one in mind with me about gospel ministry. Here's a man who exemplifies the mindset of a gospel partner. Have a look at verse 22 with me. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. You see, this is a man who has learned Christian ministry from Paul and has learned a ministry mindset from Paul. That image of a son and a father in verse 22, it's more about learning than it is about intimacy or affection. Um, uh, we've got a friend who owns a tailor shop just, um, just up the hill in Crooks. And um, if you ever need clothes adjusted in Crooks, I'm sure that he'd value uh, the fact that I've just plugged him to all of you this evening. But um, it's a tailor shop that he inherited from his mum and everything he knows about tailoring, he learned from his mother because since a child, he was there in the shop learning what to do. And in the ancient world, that sort of thing was far more common than it is today. Very normal that people would take over the family trade and business. If your dad was a carpenter, you'd be a carpenter. Dad was a laborer of some kind, you would do that too. And here, Paul says, Timothy, like a son with a father served with me in the work of the gospel. Here is one who has learned gospel partnership 
from Paul, who has proved his ministry mindset with Paul. And what is it that marks out his mindset? We'll have a look again at verse 20. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. See, here is the standout, remarkable thing about Timothy. He puts Christ's interests ahead of his own interests. And what that looks like is a genuine interest in the welfare of Christ's people in Philippi. You can imagine um, Timothy arriving at Paul's cell to visit him in the morning. Have you heard any news from the Philippians? How are they doing? I was up late last night worrying about whether they're keeping going with Jesus Christ. I was up early this morning on my knees praying for them. You can imagine Timothy wearing out the knees of his trousers in constant prayer for this church in Philippi, genuinely concerned for them. It's a slightly scary thought, isn't it, that some would be ingenuinely interested in someone's welfare. And this is exactly the mindset that Paul has been urging the Philippians to have. In chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here is a man who is deeply concerned with how the Christians in Philippi are getting on. And of course, it's exactly the mindset of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, he, he acted entirely in the interests of others. Jesus Christ humbled himself, not only to become a man, but to die, and not only to die, but to die on a cross in shame, entirely motivated by rescuing people like you and me and how like Christ Timothy is Christ gave of himself put um, our interests above his Uh, he he answered our greatest need these are our interests after all aren't they salvation our rescue for judgment against our sin and here is Timothy he puts Christ's interests before his own interests. And that means that he was deeply concerned for others, for the Philippians, and for their salvation. I saw a great little example of this uh, this week. And um, I won't embarrass the man because, um, because he's, a, he's a man from this church. But um, a little group of guys had been serving hard for hours in the kitchen, cleaning up after a student event. And, um, and I went in there just to say how grateful I was to them. And um, with a sort of slightly embarrassed look on his face, he said to me, um, look, I know that um, uh, look, this is my calling. You know, I, I know that I'm not good at the up-the-front stuff, but this is a way that I can serve and help the students to know Jesus Christ better by being here in the kitchen. This is my calling, he said. And I thought to myself, how like Jesus Christ this guy sounds right now, 
humbly serving, putting the interests of others ahead of his own interests, putting Christ's interests ahead of his own so that people could hear about Jesus, caring for others and their salvation. And you could picture a modern-day Timothy in all sorts of ways, couldn't you? Someone who's not a people-pleaser, whose greatest interest is what people think, because he puts Jesus ahead of his own interests. Uh, Someone who, who won't assert his own personal preferences as if they're equal with Bible truth. Uh, Someone who won't mind if you ask how he is because he's so interested in asking how you are. Someone who doesn't come to church or to home group asking what can I get out of it, but how can I serve Christ's interests ahead of his own? Certainly someone who wouldn't just talk to their friends and the people they already know on a Sunday, but someone who invests time and energy in new people. Someone who wouldn't let you know the personal cost of their Christian service because he simply delights to get on with it because it means he can serve others and help their salvation. Timothy put Christ's interests ahead of his own interests and how like Jesus he was for doing it. Uh, This week, uh, I've been reading about a church, and whenever someone offers to serve in a particular ministry in the church, they ask a very simple diagnostic question. They ask, who is this person serving? In this particular area of service, whose interests will they have at heart? Will it be the interests of others, or will it simply be an area of service that makes them look good? Will they enjoy doing it because they look good to others or because it's a fun place to be or because um, they'll enjoy doing it? Or are they motivated by helping others to know Christ? And I thought, what a good question to ask myself this week. Who am I serving by the things I get involved in? Now, don't get me wrong, um, you can get so wound up thinking about your motivations that you never get stuck in and serve. And that's the last thing that I'd want for any of you. But for those of us who serve in all different ways, isn't it a great diagnostic question? Who am I serving? Am I involved in this activity at church for the sake of others or because I like the attention Who do I want to benefit most from my service? Timothy put Christ's interests ahead of his own. And I'll tell you what struck me the most as I've um, thought about Timothy this week. Someone pointed out to me that the level of genuine interest and concern that Timothy shows for these Christians is not just for Christians who are in his church or his home group or something like that. The believers he's really concerned about are in a city several days' journey away from where he lives. It's made me think of the number of prayer letters from mission partners that sit in my inbox waiting to be prayed for. It's waiting for me to have time to pray for them. And here is someone who was deeply concerned for the salvation and interests of other people, even people from a church very far away from his own. Timothy put Christ's interests ahead of his own. What an example of thinking and living like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's Epaphroditus. Um, Epaphroditus puts Christ's work 
before his own life. Epaphroditus puts Christ's work before his own life. Now, he's a guy from Philippi, and Paul is sending him back there. Verse 25, have a look at verse 25 with me. I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. And we can see from the description quite how much of a role model he is. Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. See, Epaphroditus was sent to Paul with a a financial gift. And prison in the first century was not an all-inclusive package. You were expected to provide for your own food and your own clothes. And so this gift from Philippi was absolutely essential for Paul's survival and for the continuing ministry of the gospel he was having. They're giving him cash to buy food, essentially, and Epaphroditus is the guy they trusted to deliver the money. He's a sort of gospel postman or courier. And we don't know the details, but it seems that on the journey, or, or when he got there possibly, Epaphroditus got very ill. Uh, verse 27, indeed he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. See, we don't know the details, but it was a difficult time for Epaphroditus. And, and we see that Epaphroditus has the same sort of concern for others that Timothy has. Uh, verse 26, he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Did you pick up what Paul's saying there? Epaphroditus is stressed out because they're worried about how ill he is. What bothers him is the fact that they're worried um, uh, my colleague Chris um, talked about a very similar experience this morning, but um, I had an experience in my last church of going to visit um, an older lady from the church family who was in hospital, really in terrible shape in lots of ways, really struggling, experiencing quite a lot of pain. And I was, I was meant to go and read the Bible with her and pray with her and give her a bit of encouragement in this difficult moment. And, um, and I went in, and asked, how, how are you doing? And got about, I'd say, three, maybe four minutes into hearing how she was doing before somehow I found that for the rest of the time I was there, she was asking me about my family and how things were at church and, and who she could be praying for and who's doing Christianity Explored at the moment that I could be praying for. Uh, and we did read the Bible together and we prayed together. Um, and as I left, I left thinking, wow, I, I kind of, I hope I was an encouragement to her because she certainly served me while I was there. And this is the sort of person Epaphroditus is. He's, he's been so ill, he's nearly died, and his big concern is that they're, they're worried about him. Do you see? And Paul shows the same kind of attitude in verse 28. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. See, Paul is anxious about the Philippians. Here he is in prison in Rome, um, doesn't know if he's going to live or die. Uh, He's optimistic, but he doesn't know. But what makes him anxious is how the Philippians are getting on. Well, we could call it a kind of gospel-driven anxiety. It's interesting that the Christian life doesn't necessarily free you of that feeling of being anxious 
that it makes you care about different things. And so we imagine Paul too, up late, wondering how the Philippians are doing, and up early in the morning, wearing out the knees of his trousers, praying for them. But here's the thing. That's not actually what Epaphroditus is commended for. Have a look down at verse 29 with me again. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Why? Because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you couldn't give me. Again, we don't know the details of the journey. We don't know when or how he got sick. Was it a dangerous journey? Was he tempted to stop or turn back? We don't know the details, but Paul tells us he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to help with the work of the gospel. Epaphroditus put the service of the gospel ahead of his comfort, his concerns, ahead of his own life. He was willing to suffer and to take risks for the sake of the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He chose what served the gospel even at great personal cost to himself. He nearly died. And it doesn't get much more Christ-like than that. How like Christ Epaphroditus is. Um, Verse 30 uh, literally says to the point of death, the work of Christ. And it's the same phrase that Paul's already used of Jesus who humbled himself in chapter two, verse eight, to the point of death. See how like like Jesus, Epaphroditus, he is. Jesus who put his life on the line. Jesus who endured hardship. Jesus who went to, who humbled himself to the point of death for the sake of the salvation of others in obedience to his father. Epaphroditus put gospel work ahead of his own life. He was willing to lay it down for the sake of Jesus and the salvation of others. How Christ-like he was. Now there's a famous 19th century missionary called John G. Patton. And so many of the different books on Philippians I've looked at as I've been preparing for this series have quoted him. I feel it would almost be wrong of me not to. Um, It's probably the most slam-dunk response I've ever heard in a dialogue in my life. He was going to be a missionary to the South Sea Islands, and an older Christian called Mr. Dixon said to him, Mr. Patton, if you go, you will be eaten by cannibals. And John G. Patton replied, Mr. Dixon, you're very elderly, and before too long, you will be buried and eaten by worms. (laughs) If I can but live and die serving Jesus, it will make little difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. I told you it was a slam dunk answer. 
And in the great day, he said, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. What a man of God. How like Christ. How prepared to suffer, to risk losing his life for the sake of Jesus and the salvation of others. Epaphroditus put the work of Christ ahead of his own life. And that's what it looks like to be a gospel partner, to be made more like Jesus in your mind and in your life. Now look, I know it's easy to feel daunted by that, isn't it? Um, I don't know about you, um, living as I do in Sheffield, at the moment it doesn't feel like there's much opportunity for literally life-threatening ministry just at the moment. Does this mean that I need to go somewhere else to find it? Well, well maybe, but just two thoughts on that. Firstly, notice Paul's application in verse 29. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men and women like him. Paul says, honor people here and across the world who do face suffering for the work of Christ. Honor those whose lives are at daily risk because they will not stop following and speaking of Jesus. At the very least, pray for them. But we can imagine, too, the temptation not to honour people like this, can't we? Just imagine for a moment the member of the church at Philippi who has a colleague in their office who is very open about their faith, maybe just a little bit too open, and it's starting to cause trouble with, uh, with management or other employees are unhappy. Very tempting to just disassociate from them a little bit. I wouldn't have said it like that. I I wouldn't have done it like that. The evangelical minister in the papers for standing up for the truth of the Bible and very easy to say, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have chosen those words. He does sound a bit fanatical, doesn't he? Or something like that. And Paul says, honor people like him because of their willingness to put the work of Christ before their own life and how Christ-like they are. And so that's one thought that we can do right here in Sheffield to honour, to pray for, to respect and welcome with joy those who risk their life for the Lord Jesus here and further afield. But here's the second thought. Take risks for the gospel Epaphroditus risked his life for the sake of gospel work. And in my situation, tomorrow morning, I may not be called to risk my life, but the only way that I know if I would risk my life is if I'm willing to take the smaller risks that God does call me to make, to risk some of the stuff that makes up my life day to day. Uh, I I quite like to... um, read a 
passage that I'm preaching on with the students that I'm meeting up with that week. It's excellent because they usually write about half the talk for me. And um, I was sitting down in Costa with a student this week, and and as we looked at these verses, I asked him this question. um, What was the last risk that you took for Jesus Christ? What have you risked for him recently? And... um, He looked a bit embarrassed. I suppose it's quite a forward question. Um, But he said, um, this year I committed myself to do first contact evangelism on campus. I was pretty terrified to do it, to be honest. It It felt like a risk to do it. But I took the risk and I went for it and I've been doing it all year. And he looked even more embarrassed, and he said, Andy, I know that it doesn't really compare to risking your life, does it? But I thought to myself, how like Christ he sounded at that moment. So many people live for their reputation, don't they? And he was a lad willing to lay it down for the sake of Christ and his work. See, Epaphroditus put the work of Christ ahead of his life And so did this lad in the small way that God gave him the opportunity to. And so let me ask again as I close, who are your role models? Who do you look up to in the Christian life? Who do you follow after? Who do you, spiritually speaking, want to be like when you grow up? One of the things that my wider family are very entertained by at the moment is that um, my sons are, um, they're they're starting to pick up something of a Yorkshire accent. And um, Tom in particular is sounding more and more Sheffield as the days go by. And um, it's one of those things that happens, doesn't it? Actually, he didn't sound very Sheffield when he was at home with us, but now he's gone to school, he spends all of this time with classmates with Sheffield accents, and, and his teacher, well, she's got, she's got a really impressive Sheffield accent, and, um, and he looks up to them, and he spends time with them, and so like it or not, he follows them and copies them, and his behavior is shaped by them. And we know it happens in all sorts of ways, doesn't it? The people we spend time with, the people we look up to, are, are people who we begin to copy, whether we're conscious of it or not. And you see, it's not a question of whether we will copy people, but who we will imitate and how we'll imitate them. We're not to copy every Christian just because they're older than us or because they're famous or because they've written books. Paul says we are to follow those like Timothy and Epaphroditus, these two great worked examples Timothy, who put Christ's interests ahead of his own interests, and Epaphroditus, who put Christ's work ahead of his own life. Because, you see, they're the ones who reflect the mindset and the priorities of Jesus. It's very easy, isn't it, I think, to, um, to want to emulate the gifts of other people. Do you find that? I remember reading about a a Christian leader of the past who only used to sleep four hours a night. And I I, I read about that and I thought, wow, that is a guy who's got time to study and prepare and visit people and all of these things. And to be honest, I'm a mess if I only sleep four hours a night. I don't know about you. And it's oppressive actually, isn't it? Because if we've not been given the same gifts, we we can't hope to imitate those. 
But Paul isn't calling us to imitate the gifted, the strong, the impressive, but those who share the mindset of Christ, who put his interests ahead of their own, his work ahead of their life. Easy too to look at people who are doing that 100%, who are taking big risks for Christ, and to think, are they just a bit too keen? A bit unbalanced, maybe a bit fanatical? And Paul says, no, honour such people. They're the role models to have because they are like Jesus. And so who are you following? Who are you imitating? Who are you copying? Who are you looking up to? Might be a good question to ask over coffee. And if you haven't scared off the person you're talking to by the time you finish talking about that, why not ask them who they're serving and what they're risking for Christ? Let's pray. Our Lord God, we pray that you would indeed please transform our minds and lives to make us more like Jesus Christ, to join Paul and others as gospel partners in the work of the gospel. We pray that you would make us more and more like Timothy and Epaphroditus so that we'd be more like Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.